we are happy to be gathered here together. God's people gather. There's no substitute for it, right? Uh, as Pastor Garrison said, I'm a pastor at Refuge Church. I primarily um, oversee the Compassionate Witness, is uh, mercy ministry uh, for us, and uh, do some preaching there as well. So I'm happy to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, let me have you stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 5. Give you a second to get over there and get that. Exodus chapter 5. I'm going to jump back up into uh, chapter 4 just to give us a little context of what's taking place here and, um, and then we'll start rolling. The title of this sermon is When Revelation Meets Resistance. When Revelation Meets Resistance. And in this passage we will see this big idea of when we are trying to fight discouragement with gospel promises, what God will do is simply remind us of who He is and what He has done. So I hope that you see this morning a revelation, then we'll see the resistance and then I want to simply remind you of what God reminds his people here in the text. Exodus chapter 5, I'm going to jump back up into chapter 4, starting at verse 29, just to give us a little idea of what's going on here. This is God's word. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and he had seen their affliction. And they bowed their heads and worshipped. Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give them straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past shall be imposed upon them. And you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. A quick prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and that it is the true preacher. The word and the spirit today are able to do far more than I can do. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You are my strength. You are my redeemer. And I pray for all of us this morning that what we know not you would teach us, what we have not you would give us, and what we are not you would make us for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. 
we see in this text something that's pretty well known to most of us. Whether you're a, a Christian or not, the Exodus is a pretty famous story in the Bible. And we know the story how that God had revealed himself in this glorious revelation to Moses on Mount Horeb and told him through many signs and wonders to go down to Egypt, a place that he was very familiar with and had some not so pleasant history with, and tell the Pharaoh to let God's people go. He had heard their groaning. He had seen their affliction these many years as they were slaves in Egypt. And now he has revealed that he will deliver his people with a mighty hand. That he will take them to be his own and he will be their God and he will deliver them and take them to a land that he has promised them. A beautiful revelation. So, we see at the end of chapter 4 that Moses meets up with his brother, Aaron, who's a better speaker than he is. They go, they went to the people, they gathered them together, they spoke the words of the Lord, they gave the signs of the Lord. Israel, they heard it, they believed, and they worshipped. Alright? They heard, they believed, and they worshipped. Great! This seems to be going very well so far, right? And you've probably been in your life in times, perhaps before the global pandemic decided to settle in on us, where things seem to be rolling along quite nicely. And in light of what God had been guiding and directing you in in your life, it seemed as if all the stepping stones were being laid out perfectly before you. But many times we see, as we are seeing in this passage here today, that the revelation that God gives us is going to meet some resistance. There are going to be times of suffering and heartache. There are going to be tough times ahead. And this resistance is met in chapter 5. When they go and they declare this great message that they have been given to declare to the Pharaoh from God, let my people go. Waiting for a, sure, I'll let the people go. No, what does he say? In an arrogant, kind of like offhanded way, like I don't really need to pay any regard to this God. I don't know the Lord, or who is he? And I will not let Israel go. And if that was not bad enough and discouraging enough, and they, they even asked twice, like, no, 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 you maybe didn't hear us, please. We've been given this commission. Let the people go so that we may go a three days journey into the wilderness and, and perform sacrifices to our God. This is what he has told us to do. And Pharaoh says, I don't care. I won't pay any mind to your God. And to go even a step further, if that wasn't bad enough, he tells the taskmasters of the people of Israel, the slaves, to lay heavier burdens upon them. He says, go and tell them that they have to continue the supply of bricks, but I'm not going to give them any straw to make those bricks. They had to have all these ingredients in order to make the bricks, in order to build the temples and the shrines in the city of the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I want the same product being produced but I'm going to make it even harder on you. His response is that he does not know the Lord. I don't care about your revelation. I don't care about the signs and wonders. I don't care about how great you say your God is. I don't care about the comfort that he has given you. The encouragement that he has given you 
I don't care about that. And to prove my point, and to prove my might, I will lay heavier burdens. He says this in verse 9. Let heavier burdens be laid upon them, heavier work, that they may labor and pay no regard to lying words. Pharaoh is a very shrewd oppressor. He knows that the heavier burdens will discourage them and it will cause them to doubt the words of Moses and Aaron. The words that they say are coming from this God who has said he was going to deliver them. Israel's response to this is that they are angry and they are broken. Their their hearts are discouraged. They saw the signs and wonders. They heard this wonderful message. Things seem to be playing out for them very well. And all of a sudden now... It's not only a hard no. It's not only disrespect from the Pharaoh. But now it is Pharaoh flexing his muscles saying, let me show you how powerful I am and I will lay heavier burdens upon you. And some of you perhaps could say that you have been, are now, or you can bet on this, will be in times of your life and seasons of bricks without straw, so to speak. Where you feel like that just when you were about to trust God's revelation, just when you were about to trust the great deliverer and you saw that your deliverance was nigh, perhaps the the pressure of certain bills were about to be released, perhaps the, the job was about to go through, perhaps the baby was about to be born, whatever it was, perhaps the sickness was maybe going to go away, perhaps the church was about to go into a brand new season of growth, and all of a sudden it seems that out of nowhere some unforeseen thing comes into our lives, we find then that it's not just seemingly a no and a stop us in our tracks, but now all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a heavier burden seemed to be laid upon our shoulders. We find ourselves discouraged, frustrated, angry, and questioning whether or not that revelation was all just a lie. And if we're truly honest with ourselves in this, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves here quite often. Now it is true, as they say, that the, you know, the darkness is really dark just before the dawn. But sometimes, we just have no hope. In the midst of all this, Israel is angry and broken. And, and I can relate to Moses in all of this. He's been commissioned by God, all these wonderful signs. He's already insecure about going down back to this place where he had so much history. And standing before the Pharaoh, he's not the best speaker in the world. And God says, I will be with you. I will give you the words to stay. I'll bring your brother along here. Go and say these words. And now met with this resistance, the revelation seems very far in the past. The closeness that he felt to God when he took off his sandals on that holy ground seems very far away. And perhaps you yourself have been like me in these times where we, kind of like Moses, just want to say, Why? That doesn't seem to really flow with the plan. Why? Why all of a sudden, okay, maybe I can understand that Pharaoh was going to push back because what you did say you were going to harden his heart, but what about this extra burden? Now the people are blaming me and ultimately blaming you. What does God do when our revelation and our encouragement all of a sudden is smacked with the realities of life? It seems as everything is gone haywire. We meet this resistance and heavier burdens laid upon us, what does God do? Many times you will find, brothers and sisters, that God does not come again with more burning bushes. 
Right? There are seasons and times for burning bushes, and there will be a season and a time, just in a couple chapters, of many displays of God's greatness as he pours out the plagues upon Egypt and demonstrates his power. But in this moment, God does not say, here's another burning bush, here's another sign. What does God do? He simply reminds his people of who he is, what he has done, and what he has promised to do. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in the midst of bricks without straw moments, that doesn't cut it for me. I like burning bush experiences. I want to see those great displays. And in these times, what is displayed to me is the harsh burden that has now been put upon me. What God does is he simply reminds Moses of who he is and what he has done. Over in chapter 6, he reminds him what he already told him in the revelation on the mountain. He tells him this, I am the Lord. When Moses was on the mountain and he said to God, "Um, I need a name. I need a name to go in order to speak to the Pharaoh and who am I supposed to tell the people of Israel that you are? And he said, tell them, I am has sent you. God is here reminding Moses that he has made a covenant with his people. Moses, I've told you this. Nothing has changed. I have heard the groanings of my people. I have remembered my covenant to my people. I will deliver you. Listen, I will deliver you. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. In the revealing of this name and the emphasizing of this name again, God is reminding Moses of who he is. That he has revealed himself to Moses in an even more significant and intimate way than he did with the patriarchs. God had revealed himself to the patriarchs as El Shaddai, God Almighty. And yet he gives Moses a little closer glimpse, a little more intimate glimpse into who he is and what he is planning to do. He's reminding Moses that El Shaddai has not changed from the time of the patriarchs to the time of the revelation to Moses and the great I am has not changed from that moment to the moment we find ourselves in now with bricks without straw. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Folks, this is simple stuff. And we who know the gospel must have it beat into our skulls, as Luther said, over and over again, because we are forgetful people. Do we not see that in the children of Israel? Always forgetting God's goodness. Always forgetting His um, quickness to relieve their burdens, to, to love them through, to supply their every need. Reminding them over and over and over again, I am the Lord. I will deliver. Our circumstances may change, but God does not. He is the Almighty One. If He's Almighty, it encourages us in two ways. One, it encourages us that this Almighty God who has revealed Himself in a more intimate way to His covenant people, that He is first unstoppable. That He is Almighty and cannot be stopped, and he will accomplish his purposes. He will do what he has promised to do. He is omnipotent, possessing ultimate power, and superior to all other powers in the universe. He cannot be stopped from accomplishing 
his purposes. When COVID-19 has run the course that the sovereign Lord has for it, it will go away. In the midst of it, it is burdensome in multiple ways. As we grieve and have heavy burdens, some seemingly more than others, but still significant to the God who hears our groanings, who sees our affliction, and who promises to deliver. If he is the almighty God who has revealed himself to his covenant people in this intimate way, the second thing is that we can be encouraged that he does whatever he pleases. And all he does is right. I I love the idea that God does whatever he pleases until it starts to affect what I want to happen. My, uh, my oldest, Judah, he's five years old this week, and we, we love to wrestle, and we're upstairs wrestling in the, uh, in the room, and he's got these certain rules, you know, the, for wrestling, and I did some, like, move on him and threw him to the ground, and it didn't hurt him, but he jumped up and he was crying, and he was angry, and I was like, whoa, but what's wrong, what's wrong? He's like, that's not the rules, that's not the way it's supposed to go. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, and it's my room, Dad, so it's my rules. And I sat there, and I said, yeah, but it's my house. And my five-year-old looked back at me, and he said, you're right, I'm sorry, and we kept wrestling, right? I reminded myself in that moment of, of God's patience with me, but when I, when I meditate on that God does whatever he pleases in his sovereignty, that's great, fine, until it starts to really affect the rules that I think I get to apply for myself and over my life because it's my room. God says, no, it was my house. I have a purpose and a plan. And even if I accept that then, that okay, um, I'm willing to accept the sovereign rule of God and that, that you do whatever you please, that's fine. But then I must go a second step and say, you do whatever you please and all you do is right and good. And that's much harder, isn't it? Much harder. But that's where God is sanctifying us and growing us and pulling us to this place. I love Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And this God who does whatever He pleases, who is high and exalted and lifted up, governing the affairs of men, no one can say Him nay, He comes down because He hears the groaning of His covenant people. He sees their affliction. It affects His heart. And He draws near. But even in light of this, even in light of what we've seen here in chapter 6 where God reveals himself uh, afresh saying, just remember, remember what I told you. I will accomplish it. Israel's response to that in verse 9 is that they are still broken. Moses says, okay, I'll tell the people. And he tells the people. But their hearts are broken. Their spirit is broken because of the harshness of the slavery upon them. And Moses, in the end of chapter 6 and following into 7, he begins to fall into old patterns of condemnation. He cries out to God and he says, I am of uncircumcised lips. A lot of commentators say maybe this is a dual meaning or it's one or the other. We know he wasn't the best speaker in the world and he could have been talking about that. But I think more so that he just felt very unworthy to be God's instrument. As a pastor, I get that unworthy to be used for God. And he's discouraged, even in light of what God is reminding him of. The situation that they are in is so devastating. The burdens are so heavy. There's not much hope. There's not much encouragement. 
This is a foreshadowing of things to come. This is how the Exodus will play itself out. We will see God doing what he has promised to do. But then when that revelation meets some resistance and suffering in the wilderness, what do the people do? The people begin to question whether or not that was really true. They begin to question whether or not God is really good. They turn upon Moses. He becomes discouraged. What does God do? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Same story. Same thing. Over and over and over. Trust in the midst of trials and suffering. Don't try to wriggle yourself out too quickly, but bear up under knowing that I am a great deliverer and also a great sustainer. This pattern that unless, brothers and sisters, we fully set our hearts and our sanctified minds on the promised land, we will always want to wander back to Egypt. Always our hearts will long to go back to Egypt unless we are set on the promised land. God reminds them that he is the great I am, the Lord. He also um, is a reminder here of what he did not promise. God did promise to deliver his people, yes? But he did not promise them that it would not be hard. In fact, he said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Why did he harden Pharaoh's heart? That he may get glory. That he may get glory. He did not promise them that it would not be hard. On the contrary, hey, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I love this about God. I love this about Jesus. He tells his followers, you will suffer. In this world, you will face opposition and trial. But hey, be of good courage. I've overcome the world. It may not seem like it, but deliverance is nigh. Just when God is poised to act in a great way, we like to, as I like to do, grab things into my own hands because I think I have a better plan because I have a control idol. And then I make a mess of things and end up in the end blaming God. Brothers and sisters, listen. In the midst of bricks without straw seasons, in the midst of wilderness wanderings, if you will, as well, remember God is taking you through moments of hardship that you may grow and become refined. Our glorification is not in spite of suffering, but our glorification is through suffering. We follow the one who learned obedience, Jesus himself, through what? Through suffering and through hardship. This is not the most popular message in the world. Come follow Jesus and you will suffer, right? No, but we understand in our renewed minds, in our sanctified minds, that God is working in our lives, molding, chipping away, using these trials and tribulations for our good and for his glory. Have you ever thought before, though, that I was much better off before God called me to himself? I have a friend who, um, dear friend, when we first planted Victory uh, 10 years ago, I became a believer, uh, hard life of addiction and so on. And I remember asking him, like, after he became a believer and he's walking with Jesus, I said, hey man, like, how's it going for you? Just like, what's life like? He said, it's much harder. It's much harder because now the things I want to do, I don't do and vice versa. I have to fight my flesh. It's much harder and I find that I can't just run off and do whatever I want. I have to be a a loving husband and I I want to be but my flesh doesn't. Sometimes we feel that maybe we were better off when God would have just left us alone. But in the moments when we think that, we can ask ourselves this question as well. Where would we be? Where would you be if God had left you alone? 
Where would Israel be if God had left them alone? If he had not called them to himself? They will come to learn that God is a great deliverer, he's a great sustainer, and in the midst of suffering, some will learn this lesson and some won't. In the midst of suffering, that is not just an opportunity to to, uh, show our faith, but it's an opportunity to grow our faith. So in closing, I want to just give you three simple gospel promises, simple gospel reminders, nothing new but what we have seen here in the text and all through Scripture to help you in those times when that revelation meets resistance. Number one, in the midst of those times, remember that God will be revered. God will be revered. Exodus 7, 4-5, Pharaoh will not listen to you, God says. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. I used to play a lot of street ball um, with Pastor John, who's here today. And, and, and street ball, there's this thing you do um, when somebody's kind of dissed you a little bit or they put a move on you and made you look a little silly. You take that ball, if you want to, and you check it up to them, that individual. The game's still going on, but it's like me and this person are going to do battle right now, right? This is the ultimate check ball to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was arrogant in his attitude towards God. I don't know the Lord, and he must not be very powerful if he's going to relate to these slaves have you seen my kingdom? Have you seen how I can keep these people under control? Must not be much. I will not let them go. And God says, you say you don't know me? You're about to know who I am, Pharaoh. You're about to know. They're wrecked completely as the plagues are poured out. God will be revered in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering. If we must suffer, brothers and sisters, for a time that God may get glory, so be it. So be it. Is it easy? No. But in those times of suffering, God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may demonstrate to the Egyptians and to the Israelites and to all the nations that I am the Lord. And if we, may, if we must suffer for a time that God would get glory, so be it. Don't wriggle out too quickly. No, learn what God is doing in your own heart, how He is shaping and fashioning. But if you're not sure what's going on there, hold on to this. God is getting glory. And may I suffer well that He may get glory. The second thing is that He will make it right. He will make it right. Whether it be injustices, whatever hardship you're going through, He will make it right. If not now, then one day. As we look towards the promised land, the righteous judge who does all things well, who who judges rightly, will make everything right. It says in Exodus 6, God tells them, I heard the groanings. I have seen the affliction. I will deliver. I will make it right. I see the heavier burdens. I see what Pharaoh has done. I am not blind to injustice. I will act. You are not a perfect judge. I am. Let me handle it. The third thing is that he will be our refuge. 
He will be revered. He will make it right. And he will be our refuge during these bricks without straw moments. I will redeem you. He tells them in Exodus 6, 6 through 8. And the reminder, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to a land that I swore to your fathers. I am the same. I will keep covenant. Covenant-making God is the covenant-keeping God. Egypt, notice, will know that he is the Lord. Israel will come to know that he is the Lord, their God. You, in these times of heartache, as the covenant people of God in Jesus, will know that he is the Lord, your God. And this covenant making God is one who keeps it. Because as the story unfolds, we see pictures of this all through the Exodus. That there is a great revelation to come in the revealing of his son Jesus Christ. Showing his true love and care that he did not spare his own son, as he says in Romans 8. But he gave him up for us all. And if he's willing to do that, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So as we have seen the revelation, heard the commissioning, but we're in a time of just bricks without straw, so to speak, simply remember of who God is, what he has done. And as the author of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 12, we look to Jesus. He's the founder. He's the perfecter. He's our example because for the joy that was set before him, for the beauty of redeeming a people to himself and ushering them into a, a promised land, he endured the cross. He despised the shame and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So may we remember what he has done for us. May we suffer well for his glory, knowing that he is a mighty God to deliver Father, we thank you and praise you for your gracious gifts to us in Jesus. We thank you and praise you that you have not been taken by surprise in anything that has happened in 2020 or in our lives. And you not only know them, you have purpose and plans for them that we don't know, that we, we might not know for some time in this life or maybe we won't know until we see you face to face so when we have really nowhere else to turn and our hearts are broken and because of the harshness of the burdens put upon us may we just look to the promised land knowing that you have made these promises and you keep your promises may this simple word bless the dear saints here today and anyone who has heard in Jesus' good name we pray these things amen